Welcome to Mountain Grace, the weekly sermon from me, the Reverend John White, priest at St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Camillus, New York. This week it's the story of Doubting Thomas. reading for today comes from the Gospel of John. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hand and put my fingers in the mark of the nails and my hands in his side, I will not believe. A week later his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. The Gospel of the Lord. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory, Please be seated. When I was still back in West Virginia, and I was, uh, uh, I was visiting the hospice house. We had a wonderful hospice in Beckley where I lived. And I was at the hospice one time, and I was with one of their chaplains. And I was with the chaplain, and we were visiting a patient. And the only thing the chaplain was particularly interested in was getting this person who was suffering and on the verge of death to say the sinner's prayer so their soul could be saved. Now, that's not really my understanding of pastoral ministry. 
where we're supposed to be with someone as they are going through something rather than trying to impose our own thoughts and beliefs on them. But anyway, he was very concerned that this patient say the sinner's prayer. And I think we've all encountered people who, whose faith is really focused on this idea of, of winning the golden ticket. Right? And, and I don't mean to demean this person, right? Because they thought they were doing what they needed to do, right? Because their ultimate concern was, in fact, the immortal soul of this person. But I think where they went astray is that belief is not the goal of Christianity. Jesus didn't come and live and die and become resurrected so that you might believe. Now, I'm not going to say that belief is not important. In fact, it's, it's essential, but it's not the goal. Belief is not the end of the Christian journey. It's the beginning. And that we encounter this story today with Thomas. And, and I don't know, John doesn't seem to like Thomas, the author of the gospel, because Thomas is often the one kind of put in difficult situations where he questions Jesus. And Jesus always comes and sort of reprimands him and sets him straight. But whatever the dynamics between Thomas and John were, Thomas serves as a useful tool for us to understand our own appreciation for faith. Because I have to believe that everyone here at some point in their faith journey has expressed a doubt. Whether about the whole story or just one little piece of the story, but it is natural for us to be somewhat skeptical. And I think that if we were in Thomas's shoes, we would probably react the same way because the reality is he has showed up with his friends and these are friends who walked with Jesus and Thomas has seen Jesus suffer. He has seen Jesus executed. He knows Jesus is dead. He's seen Jesus put in his grave. And the reality is, for most of us, we know dead people don't get up out of the grave. That's not how it works. Not yet, anyway. And so his friends are telling him, Thomas, we have seen Jesus. He's alive, we swear. And he's like, I don't, you guys are crazy. I don't believe you at all. Until I can see it myself, I, I can't possibly believe this preposterous thing that you're saying. And so Jesus comes, and he's with Thomas, and he shows him the wounds on his side and on his hands. And Thomas, of course, responds in his belief. And Jesus kind of gives Thomas a little chastisement about seeing and believing. But I think all of us, all of us have had our Thomas moments. Because the thing that we claim is preposterous, really, right? Paul tells us this, that that the story of the Christ is foolishness. And yet, and yet, there is something powerful happening. Because Jesus does come to Thomas. And I believe that Jesus does come to us. Jesus is present in our lives. That the Holy Spirit fills us. And that Jesus came so that we might be aware of this power that moves through the world, the power of God. And to show us how we can be 
aligned with and immersed in that power. That we can look out at the world and see that it's not right, but also see in God's power the means by which it can be made right. That just like that chaplain who wanted only for people to believe, I think that was a good start. But as even the gospel says, that we are meant to believe so that we can have abundant life in Christ. That the invitation is, is to belief is not because the belief is the thing, but because the belief allows us to trust in God's promises. To believe that this crazy, preposterous thing that these people have told us has happened really happened. Paul tells us that faith is the expectation of things hoped for. The things hoped for. Not things that we are absolutely certain and sure of, but things that we certainly dearly hope to be true. And if we think back on the history of the church and we look at all of the times when the church has gone terribly astray, for inquisitions and crusades and theocracies and, and putting martyrs to death, that all of those things come from certainty. A certainty that is so ironclad that it is no longer open to the movement of the Holy Spirit. And so doubt in some kind of odd way becomes an essential piece of the life of faith. That if we are not questioning what is happening around us in the world that we find ourselves in, we can't possibly be in tune with the crazy movements of the Holy Spirit that takes us in places we would never expect. Now, I think when we want to go and be Christian people, when we want to live a Christian life, if, if belief is just the starting point, if we accept the reality of who Jesus is, and we, we trust in the promises that Jesus gives us, and we want to answer the invitation that Jesus offers us to walk in his way, we are left with the proposition, how do we do that exactly? How do we live a Christian life? How do we follow in the ways of Jesus? And I think the simple answer that I have come to is that if we do the things that Jesus did, if we see the world as Jesus saw it, we are more likely to be closer and closer to the God that created us and to be more likely to live into the purpose for which God created us. Now, I think that there are sort of some core things that Jesus did in his life and that if we do those things, we come closer and that our belief and our doubts, our doubts recede somewhat and our trust grows when we do the things that Jesus did. And I think those things are our worship and prayer and service and study and Sabbath and generosity. And I've talked about these before, but I, I really want to bring this up again in this Easter time because this is the life we were created for. This is the invitation that Jesus offers us to walk the way of Christ means to do, I think, these things. We worship. Well, you can all check that one off. You're good today. Right? And, but it's important that we gather because Christianity is a group effort. When Jesus ascended to heaven, he didn't leave behind a book. And he didn't leave behind detailed instructions. He didn't leave behind anything except a group of friends. 
and a story that they can tell. And so we gather to worship just as those friends did, so that we can hear the story, so that we can be inspired by this man, Jesus, who is also God. And we need to pray because prayer is the way that we communicate with God. Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed all the time. And so we are called to pray, to have lives of prayer, to, to have a relationship with God through conversation and listening to God in our prayers, to take ourselves out of our own concerns and to think about others and to listen for the invitation that the Holy Spirit offers us in our own lives. And we're called to service. This is what Jesus did most, that he went out and he encountered the problems of the world one person at a time and did what he could to alleviate those problems. That Jesus was a person who primarily healed and mended what was broken. In the same way, we are called to go out, out of this place and into the world and discover the broken parts of the world and do what we can to fix them. We aren't called to fix world hunger, but we are called to make sure that the hungry people we meet have food to eat. One person at a time, just as Jesus did, as we walk through our lives, we encounter a need and we answer it to the best of our ability. And we study, we need to know the stories because when we see the stories, especially the stories in the Bible and the lives of the saints and in our own church history, what we see is God's work unfolding through time. And that if we understand how God has responded to the troubles in the past, we can get a better appreciation for how God might respond to the troubles of today because God is timeless and unchanging and our problems equally so. And so we have the same problems that the people in the Old Testament did and the people in Jesus' time did. And God is responding to those and responding to us in the same way. And so the better we know the story, the better we can see God at work and the better that we can understand our role in this mission that Christ has given us. And we're called the Sabbath. And Sabbath is not vacation. It's not just taking time off. It's not just sitting around doing nothing. Sabbath is about reconnection. Reconnection and relationship. Relationship with family, with friends, with one another, with the earth, with God. It's about taking time and setting aside the demands and distractions of the world around us and remembering what is most important in our lives, relationships. Because at the end, that is the thing that we will remember and hold most dear. As I said the other week, right? No one I know has ever sat under deathbed and said their greatest accomplishment was being salesman of the month. That their greatest accomplishment is always everyone I've ever spoken to rooted in a relationship. Those are the things we need to pay attention to and that Sabbath calls us to pay attention to. And generosity and I don't just mean giving money. I mean a generosity of spirit, a generosity of time, of recognizing that others have a call on us and that we have obligations to others and that we are called to respond to that generously. 
to give of ourselves and of our talents and our abilities, not to the point where we, we empty ourselves, but to the extent that we are able. We are called to be generous to the world because everything that we have, the air we breathe, the food we eat, the textiles that make up our clothes, the sunshine that makes our plants and flowers and tomatoes grow, all of that comes from God. Our very existence is a gift from the creator of the universe. And God asks us to remember that we primarily are a gift and to likewise gift ourselves to the creation and to God. Worship and prayer and service and study and generosity and Sabbath, these are the core practices of following Jesus. And I think when we take them up and we commit ourselves to this mission of, of healing and restoring the goodness of creation that Jesus invites us into, and we, we take up these practices rooted in Jesus' own example, we grow closer to God, we grow closer or deeper in our faith, we trust more in the promises that Christ has given us, even in the face of its preposterousness. That this amazing thing that we celebrate on Easter is proof for us, if we choose to accept it, that God is good, that God loves this creation, God loves you, and wants you to have a full and abundant life now and always. Hallelujah. Christ is risen.